Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school. And that is what this podcast is designed to do, to educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only, to learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. Grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. Level. All right, everybody, welcome to today's show. And I have a special guest with me today, a um, very good friend. Actually, someone has become probably one of my closest friends in Asheville. Um, she is a, a clinical psychologist, a PsyD, who has become a teacher of mine in many respects. And we have many conversations like the one that you're going to jump into uh, with us today. Uh, Erica Chawinski is my guest today. And I'm super excited she is here because she brings, um, she's one of the most humble. You really are one of the most humble teachers I've ever met. And I don't know that you necessarily always see yourself as a teacher because sometimes when we're clinicians, you know, we don't always see ourselves as teachers, but I actually think you're one of these clinicians that is also an excellent teacher. You know, you have these people who are just healers in a sense and they're great at that, but maybe they're not the best teachers. And then you have uh, teachers who also are not able to really cross over into the healing space. And I think you're just absolutely amazing in both realms and so humble in what you know. And your areas of expertise, I think, are really um, important for what we're going through uh, in uh, today's day. You know, you're, you're just, I think, a teacher for the time. And one of the things that I want uh, to open this up with is a, something that's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. And you're more, I think, the expert in this place. And this is this idea of polarity uh, among male, female, this sort of male, masculine, female, feminine dynamic. And what is oftentimes uh, talked about in terms of polarities. And one of the major pieces of work that I am referring to here is a book called Way of the Superior Man by David Data. Many of you may have heard this book. Uh, Eric and I have certainly um, talked about it before, but never as in-depth as this discussion is going to go. And I want to just frame this up for you, Erica, and um, everyone, you'll have to sort of forgive me, but I'm just going to frame it in, in terms of what bothers me about this. And there's a lot I really love about this stuff as well, but I'm just going to, for the purposes of discussion, I want to tell you what bothers me and I want to see what what, you're, what you think, Erica. So here here's ultimately what bothers me. When I have this thing that I think it's there's obviously biological differences between men and women. And I have spent most of my career understanding a lot of these biological differences. However, I also understand that this is a continuum. It's, a, it's, a, it's nuanced. It's, it's, there's gradations, right? You don't just have 
men and then there's just a hard stop and then there's women. There's plenty of men who can be more effeminate in their approach to life. There's plenty of women who have more sort of masculine uh, sort of uh, traits and tendencies. But this gets very vague and it gets sort of confusing. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, I don't like when things are like this because it doesn't seem very evidence based at all. And it seems over applied Mm -hmm. and a little bit confusing. And so from your perspective, your clinical experience, your knowledge as a clinical psychologist, is there anything to this at all? And where does it go wrong and maybe just uh you know start wherever you want to start in terms of giving us you know maybe even a basic understanding of where this polarity stuff sort of comes from and how you understand it sure yeah well i think first when you look at if you're looking at the polarity and as defined as masculine and feminine what we're really talking about is the archetypal aspects so we're not talking about gender although you can frame it in gender or you can frame it um in sex and or what we're looking at, though, and I think if you were to take uh, the definition of polarity, if you look at what that says, one of the examples, because it's poles, it's extreme poles, right? So we're looking at what's the exact opposite of one thing. And if you look at the definition, they'll use an example, masculine, feminine, just because it actually, if you look at the positive and negative charge of in, in physics or masculine, feminine in the human form, are just posed as opposite energetic forces. And so if you look at archetypes, and this is something that Carl Jung is very well known for, that the archetypes represent a a form of energy or qualities. And so we can look at what what are masculine qualities, not just in a man, because as you said, a human being can have a mix of any energies masculine and feminine energies and using the paradigm of masculine and feminine to define that we can look at what those traits are so in masculine energies we think of um, very directed structured um, logic linear penetrative so these are things that we can use to describe men or the classic masculine form Uh, feminine is more intuitive more flowy um, creative less linear nurturing uh masculine might be um yeah structure form groundedness so any human can have a combination of these traits now when you look at typical if you a a data style david data style way of thinking about relationships he's looking at your superior man man typical masculine male energy how does that create some kind of structure and semblance for inviting in a feminine energy Oh, that's so that's really interesting. Let me just make sure I've got this correct. So if I if we frame this just in terms of male, female, gender, sex, we begin to miss something based on uh, what you're saying, because this is more of an energetic, perhaps archetypical sort of way of looking at things in the same way that we might look at night versus day, hot versus cold, Mm -hmm. masculine versus feminine traits. may or may not relate to a particular man or a particular woman, but there's definitely an energy there and an archetypal uh, archetypal type of pattern. And so that's the first thing that we have to understand what we're talking about here, which already in my mind in this discussion has corrected some ways of thinking for me because I tend to go, okay, well, then if we're talking masculine, we're always talking about this stereotypical, uh, you know, 
alpha type male type of persona. Mm-hmm. And if we're talking about, you know, female, we're always um, feminine. We're always talking about sort of this artsy, flowy type of woman. And what I, it sounds like you're saying is that, you know, this is perhaps true in our cultural way of looking at things, but that each male and female may show up different on this. So what do we do then if we have, and how do we, how would we use this? Cause here's part of my problem without this being evidence-based. I don't know that if you gave me 10 or 15 traits or mm. 20 different traits, I don't know that I could necessarily say which one is a masculine trait or a feminine trait. And so I certainly can relate to the the four or five or six or seven that you just related. But what happens when we get into um, other traits? And, and let's say, you know, I don't know, something like an architect, right? Who's, you know, has a little, there's, a, there's art to, you know, that pursuit that may seem a little bit feminine. It's also very uh, masculine structured in its sort of way of being as well. And so this is where I began to get confused because then I just go, Okay, given that we're so nuanced as humans mm-hmm. and we have all of these things going on at, at the same time, how can we possibly say Jade is in his masculine mm-hmm. and or feminine with any degree of certainty? And I think this is partly where, um, and maybe there is no certainty in it, but this is partly where, where these, this polarity stuff starts to bother me a little bit. Well, I think you have to look at what's the usefulness, mm-hmm. right? Like we can, what is the usefulness of thinking in this way, what are you trying to help or serve in that moment? Mm-hmm. Now, if you, I think your architect example is, is a fun one because you're right, they're creating structures. And so one, and yet there's, it's a frame and then there's this creativity that's happening. So I would say there's the creative force and the energy is the create is the feminine. And then what they happen to be creating is around structure and form. But when you think about um, what's inside of us individually, so I guess I might ask you, like when you were saying, I'm not really sure if I can identify these traits, when we want, what is the usefulness of identifying traits if, um, when when do we need to use this? And usually that's because there's something undefined or are we addressing a problem or what are we trying to, what's the reason? And So if I were to think about each individual person having masculine or feminine energies, whereas, uh, for example, I might, um, I can tend to have a lot of creative, free flow, right brain type aspects of me. I need to really rely more on some of my masculine traits of boundaries, structure, framework, discipline in order to use that because I can have a lot of creative ideas and they go fucking nowhere Mm. if I don't have the structure or the discipline within me. And so I might need to say to myself, I need to wake up. And when I wake up, the first thing I need to do is my morning pages or I need to get on, I need to exercise after that. And so I, if I don't, I'm laying in bed and I'm petting my dog and I'm thinking these wonderful things, but no, there's no place for the creativity to go. So the creativity needs a frame. So that frame or that structure, I would say, is the masculine part of me. And then my creative feminine part can have a place to play. Yeah. Okay. this is this is interesting. So let me ask you. So based on this, then, um, is it so let me just repeat back a few things you said, because I think are interesting. So the utility of this is from your perspective simply has to do with 
okay, what is the problem we're, we're trying to solve? So perhaps we're trying to solve, you know, romantic dynamics, or perhaps we're trying to solve in, in the example you give sort of the ability to be, um, you know, productive uh, in life while also having fun and leaving enough uh, flow to enjoy life and not just be so boundary driven and so structured that we can't have fun. So would you say that um, I oftentimes, I, I don't know if you remember Carolyn Mace, you and I are the exact same age, basically. So Erica's birthday is November 15th, 1973. I'm November 19th, 1973. And I always oftentimes think of Carolyn Mace, which I took a course of her. She was a, a course with her in medical school. She was a medical intuitive. And I remember one of the things she said is marriage is really about uh, marrying uh, the masculine and feminine within one's self. Mm -hmm. And so from my perspective, I go, uh, when, when I hear you talking, I'm like, well, that's really interesting if we go back to that and kind of say, I can see how that would have utility going. Am I too much in my Mm -hmm. uh, feminine versus in my masculine. And I, I don't necessarily know. And this is another part that sort of bothers me. I don't necessarily know that we need to use this terminology because I think right. there's many different ways to uh, frame this up, but it can be useful in this way. You know, in, is Jade more productive or is Erica more productive or are you the listener more productive when you're balancing out these two uh, polarities? And, and would you say that that's um, always the case, perhaps, or at least over time? Uh, or is am I missing something here? I would say that, um, so to take it one step further, what are, if we think about what are shadow qualities, and so shadow qualities are things that may be cloaked and unconscious that are that has material underneath there that has yet to be integrated or digested in a way that allows the integration of oneself to be in its fullest place. Ah. So let's just say shadow feminine, shadow masculine and expanded or, or um, embodied and balanced aspects of feminine and balanced aspects, aspects of masculine. And so really what we could look at is what happens when a part of ourself or a relationship, which you're looking at a unit. So what contains that unit? That unit could be me alone or that unit could be a relationship, right? right? So if I have an aspect of myself that's feminine, that's out of balance. Now, this is an interesting experiment I, I discovered um, in my own work, in my own personal work. Um, years ago, I had been, um, I have studied a lot of the, the feminine mystery schools and one aspect of really getting to know feminine qualities, light qualities or shadow qualities, and also um, coming from a psychological background, that what happens in myself when I feel out of balance or maybe I'm um, having something really struggle, that I'm struggling with in a relationship and I'm having a lot of emotions that make me feel just sad and alone and um, very emotional. Um, what am I needing within myself to help balance. And really what I discovered, I was like, if I call on, if my if I have an aspect of shadow feminine coming up, if I call on an embodied or grounded masculine energy to meet that. So if I'm feeling, let's just say um, self-deprecating, or if I'm feeling uh, down, if I get, if I bring in a masculine energy to balance that, that says, that's grounded and provides me say in this end, I'm feeling frenetic. So, and that's too chaotic, creative of an energy or emotional energy, a grounded 
structured part of myself to meet that, that might create more balance for me. It's time to talk about one of our sponsors of today's episode, AG1 by Athletic Greens. Now, many of you have heard me say this before, but I am not a fan of vegetables, which I know is funny given I've been in the health and fitness industry for so long. I blame my mother and father for this when I was a kid. What they would do was essentially take the broccoli, the Brussels sprouts, the spinach, the collard greens, and just steam them. No salt, no fat, no taste whatsoever, just these bitter greens. And so I developed a distaste for a lot of different vegetables, which has stayed with me into adulthood. One of the things I've done to mitigate that is use a greens powder pretty much ever since greens powders have come out on the market. And I've tried every single one. They started out tasting like swamp water. I found a few that I really like the taste. But recently, one that I have been taking for a very long time, as you all know, I wear a continuous glucose monitor. I found that it was actually spiking my blood sugar because probably the tapioca starch in it, which some people don't respond to tapioca starch with elevated blood sugars. I was. And so it sent me on a mission to find another one. And one of my friends turned me on to AG1 by Athletic Greens. Now I've heard about Athletic Greens and AG1 for quite some time. I just never tried it. And now that I have tried it, I have become a huge fan. So much so that I partnered with Athletic Greens and AG1 to sponsor this podcast. Now let me tell you what happened here. After I saw that my blood sugars were spiking, my friend gave me a couple samples of AG1. I began using those and testing the blood sugar and found there was no spike. The other thing I found is that AG1 is interested in its taste profile. It's very neutral. The one I was taking before was a little sweet. I really loved it. But this one is very neutral, which actually suits me because what I found is I can actually not only take this first thing in the morning in water, and have it taste very neutral, almost like there's nothing there, I can also add it into my protein shakes, which means now I'm getting double the greens that I was getting previously because I add this right into my protein shakes and it does not change the flavor of the shake at all. The other thing I realized once I started looking at the label is that this product is not simply a greens product. It also is a multivitamin, multimineral. It also has fiber, which acts as a prebiotic. It has probiotics in it, and it has functional mushrooms, which act as adaptogens in it. That's four different products essentially in one. And I've been taking mushrooms for some time. I stopped taking them now because now I have this in my greens. I have also taken my multivitamin and make this my multivitamin. So I'm actually saving money and this is going to save you money as well. The product AG1 is also NSF certified. And you're going to say, Jade, what does that mean? The National Sanitation Foundation is a foundation that essentially does testing on products to make sure there are no harmful substances, no persistent organic pollutants, no heavy metals. Now this costs money to do. AG1 and Athletic Greens has spent the money on this. They spend money on making sure that the product that you are getting is good quality without contamination in it. You might say, well, Jade, isn't this true of all products? And actually, no, it is not. If you ever follow some of the news in this area through con uh, consumer labs and other things that do uh, you know, testing on these products, 
you'll see that many of them will have trace levels of things like mercury and cadmium and lead and things like that in them because they're not doing this testing. So this is an extra piece of insurance for us. The other thing I love about this product that I learned as I was doing my research on it is that this is the 52nd tweak or adjustment they have made to this product in their existence. AG1 has been tweaked 52 times. Now you might say, well, Jade, why would they be doing that? And the reason why is because they continue to improve. We know that science is evolving. We know that it's not just about more nutrients. It's about balanced nutrients. It's about the Goldilocks effect of this. And they are constantly learning as we all are and then constantly adjusting their product to taste better, to be more efficient and effective in delivering the nutrients. It acts as an antioxidant. It acts as a multivitamin. It's a prebiotic, a probiotic, and an adaptogen all in one. They have mastered this over several iterations of this particular product. And so I am a huge fan right now of AG1 and Athletic Greens. And I'm hoping that you will check this out. It's time for all of us to reclaim our health and arm our immune system with convenient daily nutrition. And AG1 does that with just one scoop in a cup of water every single day. That is all you need. There is now no longer a need for a million different pills and supplements to look after your health. All you need is this particular one. It really clears the stage to simplify your supplement regime. To make it easy for you, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash next level. That's athleticgreens.com slash next level to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Check out AG1. I love it. I know you're going to love it. And I'm so happy that they are on board to sponsor the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Check out AG1, athleticgreens.com slash next level. And let's get back to the show. Uh, that's interesting because it's, uh, and I know that oftentimes in psychology and clinical psychology, there's an aspect of um, some people do work with what they would call parts, you know, and they try to integrate these parts. And it sounds like you're speaking to that on some level here where you're essentially saying, if I can become aware of these polarities, and if I can become aware of the fact that I might have a shadow masculine or shadow feminine, mm -hmm. rather than going to battle with that in a sense without having a tool kit, mm -hmm. I can understand the opposite polarity of that and come and meet it with this awareness. And so I might be able to pull up, in, in my case, I might be able to pull up, uh, let's say, um, my masculine when I'm feeling, and if I'm getting this right, when I'm feeling like I'm just not able to focus, I'm procrastinating and or I am just wanting to be creative and in flow, yet I have, uh, you know, a deadline to take care of. I have something, you know, that I need to, I can then call forth this aspect uh, of myself to balance me out. Yeah. Another a good example, say, given you happen to be a, a particularly masculine man, that um, when we drive ourselves really hard um, or have a lot of self-criticism or self-doubt, we might need to bring some nurturance in. Mm. We might need to bring our own softness and acceptance in. Yeah. And so the frame we're looking at, we're looking at these 
ways of working with our own integration through masculine and feminine polarity. And we can also look at relationships through that. And so I think that there are ways of any frame. I mean, one thing that I'm also thinking about is what creates balance and what creates safety. And so are you needing more nurturance? Are you needing more creative play? Are you needing more boundaries? Right. And so if we, if you're clear, I think if you're clear on being able to identify and have the capacity to self-reflect enough, you can use that. But I think the first part is usually how do we help people connect to that self-reflective piece that says, ah, I am being hard on myself. This is, you know, my father's voice or this is my mother's voice. And maybe I had a really masculine mother. Um, doesn't matter the gender of the parent. Um, it matters the quality of energy. And what have, what have I taken in and internalized? And how do I want to address that? Just so I can be clear on this, because these are the, the kinds of things that, you know, it's my own ignorance of not, you know, uh, understanding this and wanting clear definitions. And maybe this is my masculine aspect. So when, when you say, when I think of myself, this mm-hmm. might be... Um, funny to some people. I don't necessarily think of myself as a masculine man. Mm-hmm. I, I see, I definitely can see culturally speaking, I can see that I look uh, the part of man, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, in some respects, I guess you could describe me historically as, you know, the big burly linebacker looking guy, you know, a muscular, you know, sort of very male looking figure. But in my uh, internal state, you know, I don't necessarily feel that I am of that. As a matter of fact, I've oftentimes felt misunderstood in that mm-hmm. regard because there's a part of me that's um, very creative. There's a part of me that's very um, nurturing. There's a part of me that's that, you know, at least, uh, you know, motherly in a sense, taking very good care of, uh, of my friends, looking after, um, you know, uh, people in a sense. And so I'm curious how do I, how would someone even know? Like, how would someone like me even know? I mean, I know that people might look at me and see me as masculine and I don't necessarily see myself as being as masculine, maybe internally as people think I am, but maybe I'm wrong. And this is where I go. How can we determine this? Cause I assume what, what is sort of being said underneath it all is that it would be a really good thing if we could balance these polarities within ourselves and be able to pull and, call on them whenever we need them. But first we have to become aware, like from my perspective, you know, like you're someone that I see can be very, you know, sort of uh, masculine in how you show up at times. And then I also can see you being very feminine at times. What I mean by that, just so it's more specific to um, the listener is that, so when you talk to Erica and you're having an intellectual discussion, let's say she can go from a very playful hanging out with a dog, talking in like a kid's voice and like, you know, jumping around and she's very playful. And then she can go very sort of structured and be very sort of ABC, XYZ. This is like how it works. And I've always sort of marveled. And since I've known you really like that aspect of you, that one minute you're playing and completely like um, an artist and even the way that you may dress and things like that. It's like very artistic in, 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 and yet you're also very athletic. And you're goofy also, and yeah, you can quirky. get goofy, quirky, quirky. <laughs> you have this athletic, you know, sort of badass athlete side to you. And you have this very, uh, very sort of like structured, uh, holding mm-hmm. space sort of clinician side to you. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I would see that as someone who very much 
is is uh, able to move back and forth from their masculine and feminine if I'm getting that right. But I don't necessarily know that I would mm -hmm. describe myself as masculine or that, you know, and, and how would I know if I'm stuck there? I love this question because partly what we miss often is the pieces we don't see. And that's pretty obvious. We miss what we can't see and what we can't see is our unconscious. Mm -hmm. And so how do we get access to our unconscious, which is what we're talking about? Because you can say, I feel very feminine. I, I, you know, as a big burly man, I may look on the outside, like I've got all these masculine traits, uh, but I really am connected to my softness or my, I, I experience you as an incredibly generous, nurturing man. And I also know you struggle with receptivity mm. and that's a feminine quality, right? So we're going to have these pieces, but maybe you're not really as conscious that you struggle with the receptivity until you're encountering something that shows you and reveals that. And so usually this is the power of relationships is that relationships allow us to have a reflection that they can be a mirror for us and show us. I think that we might get glimpses through art, through our own creations of art through that's what I mean by art, like when we're creating or um, engaging in ways we might get a surprise reflection. Uh, but I think what we're conscious of are is not where the juicy work is. Yeah. Other people help us become yeah. conscious. I, I, I love that aspect. And let's let's get into that a little bit, because this is ultimately where we wanted to go or I wanted to go and learn from this discussion is this idea that I do believe and have learned, uh, and it's tough, that uh, I have a love-hate relationship with romance, partly, partly because romance to me oftentimes can be um, this thing that people outsource all the things that in my mind sh they should be doing themselves. Um, at the same time, there are things that I think that we need to do, learn, grow, and evolve that we simply can't do alone in the same way that you wouldn't be able to see what you look like. <laughs> it, yeah, no problem. It, you wouldn't be able to see what you look like if you, if we never had mirrors mm -hmm. in a sense. So, so to me, people are a mirror to us in a sense in relationship and can show us things that we could not see otherwise. And I just want to, to, you know, sort of get your take on that and then see where, okay, so how then, you know, would polarities, you know, and the idea of masculine and feminine even come in this? Do we need, do we even need this language? How useful is it inside of relationships or is it just two humans uh, interacting and someone pointing out, hey, you know, this seems like you're a little bit dysfunctional here or you're not showing up this way or I can see you're ineffective this way in the world. Do we even need this language? Okay. Well, I think it's important to look at the micro and the macro. And I think the micro meaning relationships and individuals is the micro expression of larger macro concepts like society and what's happening. And if we look at masculine, feminine, and mainly where are these balanced energies that we'd have to go back 10,000 years ago to when patriarch started. And without going into that as a, you know, diatribe around what, what happened in patriarchy and why did it start and what happened to the empowered experience and expression of these feminine energies through feminine leadership, through the expression of uh, power, the power of the feminine. And 
what was the necessary, why did patriarchy come in as a form of protection, power, and how did that need squelch the feminine power? So we could look at that as a, as at the macro in a point in time when that happened and how that then went into government and religions, religions and government. And which are very structured entities, meaning more masculine. Yes. And where fear came in and how did fear begin to influence the need for either squelching feminine or um, creating protection. You know, one of the, uh, one of the archetypal qualities of masculine is the protector. That's one of the archetypes. And so what is the, how and what are they protecting and what for and what are the ways they're protecting? We all need to have, you know, it's, it's kind of, it makes me think of anger as a very important, um, necessary emotion that we have and a powerful one and how it can actually create clarity. But out of balance, that anger can create rage and violence and destruction. And confusion, the opposite of clarity. Yeah. And so that piece of where feminine energies and when were the feminine powers suppressed and how did that actually create imbalances in men? I mean, my heart goes out to men who have not been able to, and this is only coming, I think, more recently in our culture where men connecting to their own vulnerability, their own sense of emotions, um, their own sense of um, their own creative power about what feels and flow for them, as opposed to being able to feel like they only need to show up as a certain form. Um, I need to, you know, classically, you know, provide for my family with finances and not show emotions and go on the battlefield and kill people and protect um, everything from a village to a culture to a country. Um, so I think that out of balance that it has created a lot of destruction and um, pain. And that's what I think we're looking at badly. Only, I mean, one of the main importance, importance of looking at masculine and feminine archetypes right now is how has our culture gotten out of whack with um, these elements of uh, patriarchy being almost left alone with too much power and out of balance with their own inner feminine. Um, you know, I work uh, with a lot of couples and I work with men and I work with women. And one of my, what I see again and again, a lot of my male uh, patients slash clients is that their shame, deep shame, in not having had a space to access their feelings. And when they access feelings, there's even more shame. And where can that pain have a place to flow? And where can the pain have a place to be held and nurtured and accepted so they can begin to accept their own pain and have anger that isn't suppressed? There's so many men uh, are so terrified if they experience the power of their own force, they can't do that because they fear it would be too destructive. Mm -hmm. I can't, I might be a monster. I, if, if I have a dear friend of mine um, that will speak to me about, you know, I don't think I ever, I, I think if I ever were to experience the power of my own rage, it would destroy me and other people. And so I can't do that. And I, I take, what if we take the word rage out of there? And what if we say, what do we, what would it be like to experience your own power? And that might mean in a rageful state, but how can you do that safely 
so that you can ex- experience all of yourself without feeling shamed or truncated in a way that you feel you have to cut off that part of yourself, yeah. which is self-castration. So if, if, the, if the listener doesn't mind and you don't mind, I'm going to throw a hand grenade into the room. And so I oftentimes use no. this term because like throwing a hand grenade into the room basically means that I'm going to say something that's going to be controversial, perhaps uh, jarring and perhaps offensive to perhaps you and, and the listeners. But I want to say it because, you know, I talk to a lot of men about this and, and I and I think it's important to uh to sort of give this uh, perspective. And then I want to see uh, what you think about it. So a lot of men don't like the, the term patriarchy um, because it has this very uh, sort of negative uh, connotation. I, I personally don't have that issue with it because I look at it like it's self-evident to me that men have, men and white men have been the ones uh, in power. However, the hand grenade in the room goes like this. From my perspective, when we're talking about polarities, Part of the the issue that is going on is that rather than women showing up with their feminine side to balance out the, quote, patriarchy with a matriarchy, what it has become is women uh, doing the exact same thing that men have been doing. In other words, by setting up this idea that, you know, there's the patriarchy over there and we are going to and this is getting a little bit political, but I just want to throw this into the room as, as in terms of polarity, that we need to sort of take this on, point out how dysfunctional men are, set up this almost dichotomy of uh, feminine being uh, sort of better than masculine. So I know that this is not necessarily what you're saying, but I just want to throw this in. And then what to me ends up happening here is that you end up doing the exact same thing, even though you might be in a feminine looking body, Mm -hmm. you actually end up perpetrating the exact same uh, cycle of pain and the exact same cycle of power by adopting these masculine sort of, uh, you know, energetics and traits Mm -hmm. and then perpetrating them on masculine looking uh, individuals who um, who then uh, begin to Uh, suffer as a result of this. So from my perspective, what I see here is that it's not uh, our culture currently is not necessarily feminine rising up in a matriarchal sort of balancing act to uh, help the masculine. It's more that uh, female looking, uh, uh, feminine looking individuals are coming with more, even more masculine energy oftentimes mm-hmm. uh, and doing the exact same thing, spiritually trying to subjugate or overpower, uh, you know, the perceived, uh, you know, sort of masculine affront from masculine looking people. And to me, this is why the polarity issue is a problem for me because I essentially go, we're doing the exact same thing in my mind in relationships and in culture as a whole, um, it's no different in my mind, actually, in a sense, uh, that it is still uh, a, a masculine type of energetic being perpetrated by uh, a feminine looking individuals who aren't actually in their feminine either. Qualities, yeah. Well, I think 100%, but you have to, and you have to look at the progression when women started to say, hey, we want to work and then it was, we want to have jobs. We want to get paid as much. 
they, in order to be accepted in a masculine based society, they had to be little men or, or big men. Mm-hmm. Right. So they had to take on the qualities of the masculine. Look at Hillary Clinton. Right. She needed to meet men at a men's quote game. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of men who can facilitate or act from feminine energies. But really when we looked at business, we look at the history of business and the women had to become very masculinized to be accepted and to be met. You know, they, this is another thing is like women's bodies is that we, you know, growing up, I was taught, it doesn't matter if you have your period, you get up, you go be a man, you know, so to speak, if you want to succeed, go and do your thing. And even it wasn't until recently that I allowed myself to look at my own cycles as how do, what does my body need? What do I need? Especially as an athlete, can I pay attention to that and not just say, it doesn't matter where I'm at in my cycle and I can still ride or do whatever I need to do um, athletically. So yeah, I think women needed to show up in their masculine side to be met. Now, I think where we're evolving now as a society is that leading from the feminine is becoming slightly more, um, it's on, at least it's on the radar. And what does it mean and what's it look like to lead from the feminine? I think some of the models that we have in business that are not looking at hierarchical top-down models and collaborative models are leading from the feminine. So I do think the anger and rage of women, um, that have has often you know come to the center to say okay i want to be listened to and i want to be heard how do i be how do i have the polarity listen to me do i need to meet them in their energy or can i do it in a different way and i think uh you know gandhi had a very feminine approach yeah It's time for one of our sponsors, and this sponsor is a very exciting one and a new one, Timeline Nutrition and their supplement, MitoPure. Now, if I was going to ask you what is the most important aspect of metabolism, the mitochondria would have to be tops on your list. The mitochondria are the little energy-producing factories inside every single one of your cells. They take the end products of the food we eat, They break them down into cellular ATP and provide energy for the entire metabolism. And these mitochondria, if they are healthy and acting appropriately, can keep us looking good, feeling good, living longer, and functioning better. However, when they are not at optimal function, when they are burning energy in a dirty fashion, when they are damaged, they actually speed cellular aging. They speed up the aging process. We end up suffering from things like fatigue. We end up having all manner of dysfunctions, including weight loss resistance and other issues around weight loss. The mitochondria are the most important elements for the metabolism to function optimally, lose weight, age appropriately, etc. In this compound, MitoPure, that Timeline Nutrition has developed, there is a product called urolithin A. Now, urolithin A is an interesting compound because it is a postbiotic. Now, what does that mean? A postbiotic is a compound that is made from the bacteria in the gut. And so when you eat things like pomegranates, strawberries, walnuts, things with polyphenols like this, they go into the digestive tract, your Gut bacteria start working on them and they can create compounds. 
Urolithin A is one compound that is in the MitoPure product. It comes from, naturally occurs in nature from this bacteria in our gut that break down the polyphenols from primarily foods like pomegranates, strawberries, etc. And it can increase mitophagy in mitochondria. So you might say, well, Jade, what is mitophagy? Mitophagy is the ability for mitochondria to repair and regenerate and recycle their proteins and to stay healthy and functional and de-age. When we can stimulate mitophagy, we can keep our mitochondria functioning efficiently. We can decrease aging. We can increase energy. We can improve our ability to lose weight, function optimally, and stave off diseases of aging. This is what Timeline Nutrition has done with their MitoPure product and the urolithin A that is in it. This is a very exciting area of research. We have not had the ability to support the mitochondria in the way that we do now with this particular product. You definitely are going to want to check this out. I've been taking the product for several months now. It is one of these products that I really, really strongly recommend. To get the product MitoPure, all you have to do is go to TimelineNutrition.com backslash next level. TimelineNutrition.com backslash next level. And let's get back to the show. Yeah, and some of my favorite males had. And the reason I bring it up is because from my perspective, and I do want to get into, you know, I like that you kind of framed it this way because I do think we can look at the macro level culture and then we can look at the micro level sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, dynamics between in romance. Mm -hmm. uh, And then we can look at the quantum level, I guess, as an individual. But from my perspective, I think uh, in this conversation, what I would like, and it's, it's really a question, but it is also where I, I do think I'm largely coming from. I look at it like what we need is uh, leaders, males and females who are masters of both their masculine and their feminine. We don't need feminine leaders who have circumvented that in place of masculinity and doing the same toxic masculinity that has been perpetrated now just coming from a female looking person. Mm-hmm. What we need is both leaders on both sides, uh, you know, feminine leaders, masculine leaders who are, are marrying these two things. And I know plenty of men like that and plenty of leaders like that. You mentioned uh, one, Gandhi. Uh, we have, you know, people like Nelson Mandela, who, uh, you know, really swung, swung wildly back and forth before he actually was able to marry those two. We have people like Martin Luther King also who, you know, struggled. People like Malcolm X who also struggled with these. But we have historical figures who have done very good work in the world who have struggled with these and who, by the time we began to celebrate them, seem to have been able to marry these things. And so this is why I think it's a very interesting conversation to have, because then it doesn't become male, female, which in my mind, the world is becoming gray in that regard anyway. And from my perspective, I say that's just a natural evolution of humanity. It doesn't scare me and it's not something I see as bad. But also I go, we need to also marry these polarities uh, with within ourselves and not look at it like feminine only comes from a woman and masculine only comes from a man. It's the marriage sort of of the two. And one thing I would say what this might look like from my perspective, and I want to get your take on it before we just address um, romance here in just a minute, is that to me, it would look like this. You mentioned hierarchies, right? You know, this this idea of competence hierarchies. 
And I would say that's a very male thing. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I would say that's a very male related thing. It's very much like you're here. I'm here. I'm good at this. You're good at this. I'm better at that. You know, you stay in your lane kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And to me, um, the, you know, so we all know what that looks like. And I would argue that most people who are claiming feminine, you know, uh, energetics are still coming at it from that sort of hierarchical point of view. They're fighting on that hierarchy. What I like is with the male and females who have married their masculine and feminine polarities are more looking at it like it's an ecosystem, that we all play a role, that we all have our part to play, that everyone is uh, has importance there. And yes, within an ecosystem, you will find pockets of hierarchy, but those hierarchies are in the context of a greater ecosystem and a greater holistic, integrative, inclusive way of approaching the world. And governments that do that and leaders that do that, whether male or female, I think are the embodiment of this more inclusive um, sort of polarity. And then I would say that relationships that do that as well, mm -hmm. that don't try to get caught in these dynamics. And this is where I think the David data way of the superior man type stuff tends to go sideways for me because it can easily turn into, oh, let me be in my masculine because I'm the man and you stay in your feminine because you're the woman. Mm -hmm. And the more trouble there is in the relationship, we'll just increase that polarity. I'll get more masculine and you have to get more feminine. Mm -hmm. I would, from my perspective, see that it's really about understanding these dynamics and being in ecosystem and in partnership with, you know, uh, ourselves, whether it be in government at a macro level, whether it be at an individual romantic level, so that this is a, a, a more of an ecosystem, not this hierarchical, you know, graded sort of system. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. It's a lot, but I think it's in, it's really important when we start to look at this, especially if we're going to try to be next level humans, which I think are people who are more integrative, inclusive and holistic with these dynamics. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, completely evidenced by the fact that it's not an accident as consciousness is expanding to understand these things. It's not an accident that this is also the movement right now of the gradation of gender, right, of non-binary. We can't talk about masculine or feminine or leaders or men, male or female, without mentioning the fact that so much in our culture right now is brought a giant awareness to this non-binary, that people who may be born in a female body or a male body um, really are now beginning to identify what gender do I really feel? What gender internally, what energies am I allied with? And so I do think that evidence that our society is so bringing such wonderful awareness to this right now also shows that our consciousness is expanding into more aspects of truth of what is true. And so where this aspect of masculine and feminine can, is moving toward is a more integrated and nuanced as opposed to polarized. And within that one or that one unit as the self, we get to think about and is it useful, like we said in the beginning, like what's the usefulness of thinking about these aspects of ourselves, but to allow there to be, you know, a real amalgam. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it, is, it will hopefully be less important to say, um, oh, I am um, a female leader, but we need now to do that because it has been met with such oppression mm -hmm. that it's just a balancing on, I think, when things are extreme naturally in the side of physics, it pendulums until it comes more to center.
Yeah, it's maybe we need to stop talking about it. Like I'm a, this is a female in her, you know, in her masculine or feminine or a male in his masculine and feminine, and just be like, this is a human mm-hmm. who has integrated mm-hmm. masculine mm-hmm. and feminine. Yeah, I was speaking with um, a, f- a friend of mine the other day who has a 15 year old daughter, and they were talking about uh, romance or having crushes, and the daughter said, you know, I don't get it, mom. Why do people have to be like oh i like that girl or i like that boy why don't they just like the person mm-hmm. and i'm in a hundred percent like agreement with that now there are that doesn't mean that there's not the humans that are like oh i am a cisgendered male and so i and a straight heterosexual cisgender male that wants um a cisgendered heterosexual female it's not mixing that either there's room for that polarity to be on the wave of what is here? I mean, we look at the bell curve and that 68% of what's in the center is probably going to look different once we balance and truly balance to both our hearts and our divine wisdom. Yeah, I love this so much because I think that, you know, ultimately, if we just look at evolution as a whole, this makes sense that this would be the way that we are going. Mm-hmm. And I want to just throw one other aspect of this, because again, this is to play devil's advocate. And also it is something that, that bothers me as we have this. But it, it, to me, I go, we are evolving. We are one team human. We are evolving. So it makes sense that, and to me, it's been going on all along. It's just that now culture is uh, in a place where it is uh in my mind, balancing more and contending more with this idea that we are simultaneously individuals and members Mm -hmm. of groups Mm -hmm. and that a next level human understands this. They understand that it can't just be all me and it can't just be all us. Mm -hmm. It has to be both always. I have Mm -hmm. to take care of myself and I must simultaneously take care of the group. To me, a base level human goes, it's me, me, me. A culture level human goes, it's my team, my team, my team. And a next level human goes, no, it's me, and the team, and I must always take actions and live in a way that support me and the uh, sort of um, individuals that are and, and the group as a whole. But that being said, one of the things that happens in this is that uh, you alluded to this. If I'm a cis hetero man, which I am, and I want to be romantically involved with cis hetero women, um, what we need to do in my mind is make allowance. What tends to happen is we tend to overemphasize what is new and, you know, fight vigorously for it, perhaps for good reason. Mm-hmm. And then we begin to undervalue what is old. And from my perspective mm-hmm. in these arguments, what we need to do is we need to honor both. We need to be able to honor, you know, the cis hetero orientation mm-hmm. and not demean it and mm-hmm. uh, be, uh, dehumanizing with it and be divisive in our language towards it in this, you know, as we integrate these other things that we have been divisive towards and dehumanizing towards. This is the greatest struggle that we have as humans is not to come back and say, because everyone, the culture has been divisive and dehumanizing in this way to this orientation. Now this orientation must also be divisive and dehumanizing to the uh, old orientation. This is the exact mm-hmm. wrong approach. And I would say is the approach that is not integrative of masculine and feminine. Once again, it is a more masculine oriented approach to life, regardless of what, you know, uh, sex or, uh, you know, it's coming from. 
And so to me, once again, if we're really going to talk about this stuff, we need to continue to be integrative, inclusive and holistic and not let these pendulums swing so wildly that we then become divisive and dehumanizing and become the thing we hate. And I'll, I'll leave it there, but I want to hear your final thoughts on this. Yeah, well, I think we can't have that conversation. I mean, I think in order to have that conversation, we need to talk about what safety is. Mm-hmm. Um, because the reason why things get so polarized, if we use that word again, um, or there's a rebuttal against something, it's because something hasn't felt safe or felt heard if there wasn't enough space for something. So if someone is needing to be seen or heard because they feel suppressed um, or they feel subjugated, that they're needing to use that much pressure, an equal amount of pressure back. So that pendulum is swinging back because they're feeling that they need a force that they haven't had enough space. So when we get to either the individual, that we are more flexible and more calm when there's safety. And we can't love, like in the sense of where love is flowing and free, happens in safe places. If our limbic system is ignited, then we're in a different mode. We're in fight, survival, freeze, you know, freeze, fight mode. And when we're in a safe place, we have a lot more flexibility and expand, expanded capacity for listening and hearing. So we might even just think about where is safety and how do we create that either in an individual relationship or on the macro with a country. Mm. And I think we're, what we're experiencing right now in a lot of fields, if we go you know, on concentric circles, when there is such polarity, it's because there really isn't a place to come together and say, hey, there's room enough for you, room enough for me, and so I don't need to fight you, and I can have more flexibility and fluidity. You have been listening to the Next Level Human podcast with Dr. Jade Tita. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe and consider leaving a review. You make the biggest difference when you pass on your lessons and inspire others. That's why reviews like this are so powerful. Your words may be the only ones that resonate for someone else. Please remember the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. Always consult your personal physician or therapist before making any lifestyle changes. And finally, thank you for who you are in the world and the difference you make.